All right. Thanks again for joining us here on the Defender Podcast Extra Edition. Um, I'm your host, Rick Morton. We are taking topics that we can go a little deeper in and spend a little more time dwelling over that will be of benefit to adoptive and foster families and to churches and, and to the entire body of Christ as we seek to live out um, James 127. As I promised you on the last episode, we are continuing our conversation with Whitney White. Whitney is um, our international education specialist here at Lifeline as well as part of our counseling team. And, and Whitney spends um, her time as part of the Lifeline team investing in international adoptive families and in creating resources to, to help families. And so on the last edition, we, we talked about um, this idea of, of loving at a distance for uh, families and, and for grandparents and, and for aunts and uncles and for people in the church that are coming around adoptive and foster families um, and seeking to love them well, um, but also how, how we can um, help and not hinder the attachment and bonding process with children. And so on our last episode, Whitney was able to, to give us um, several don'ts. Um, but we don't want to be people that only speak in the negative, right? So we want to, we want to talk about a few do's. And so Whitney, um, like what is it that you would, would say to families about things that they need to do proactively in order to, um, in order to, to help and prepare the people around them to um, to to be part of the equation of a, of of attachment and bonding with their children. Yeah, definitely, Rick. We we want to encourage and we want to educate on what are the things that are going to potentially hinder attachment and hinder the growth and the healing of a child. But we also want to equip parents with and equip the family and friends with what others can do, um, not simply focusing on what not to do. And so there are many things that you can do as family members and friends or that you can encourage your family members and friends to do to where they're still showing support. They're still loving you. They're still encouraging you, but they're just doing that with a little bit of distance in order to not hinder that very important attachment and all of the stuff that you're really working towards. So let's dive into these do's. Um, One is do let parents train and teach the child while you reinforce. So we want to do, I said this many times in the last series is that we want to do whatever we can to assist the parents efforts in building attachment with the child so I encourage you to just back them up don't contradict or challenge them especially in front of the child another do is do ask questions ask if what you're doing is okay ask how the parents would prefer for you to interact with their child ask if there's anything that you need to be doing differently Another is do initially keep your distance from the child. If the child begins to gravitate toward you, you need to show support by stepping back and avoiding physical contact when the child is only recently home. But of course, be be aware of doing this in such a sensitive way that it doesn't shame the child. So your instinct, if that child is reaching for you, if that child is smiling at you, if that child is coming for you, your natural instinct is going to be to ooh and to awe and to pick that child up. However, in an early stage of adoption, this can be dangerous to the bonding process. 
Um, another do is do redirect the child to the parent. Many of these children, they show what is called indiscriminate affection. So we actually talked about indiscriminate affection last time a little bit. And they might look like they're very well adjusted or like they don't have any attachment issues. So just be aware of this so that we don't encourage those behaviors. What the parents are really trying to teach. This can be as simple as making statements like, Go give your mom a hug, or I bet your daddy would like that. Why don't you go show him? When a child asks you a question, you can just say, well, let's ask mom. So the child needs to see you getting approval from the parents. This is really important. So we want to talk up the parents as well by making statements like, what a sweet daddy to give you that. Another one is do look to the parents for guidance on interaction. So get permission from the parents before acting and abide by their rules. So yeah, Whitney, I think that we, we definitely want to, to emphasize to folks that um, we, we want parents to be the ones who are the, um, the guide that we, you know, that we go by. They're our reference point because they're spending the most time with their children. They're the ones that are really understanding what the, you know, what the needs are and, and what's appropriate. And so um, by, by giving them a little more um, charge and kind of keeping one eye toward them, even as we're interacting, what we're able to do is we're able to sort of play off of them and, and to, um, to, to know where to go or to know, you know, what's appropriate. And, and so I, th I think that, you know, bearing in mind that there's, there's no exact science to this. Um, there's, there's no, um, there, are, there are a set of principles that we work by that, but the folks enter into this without fear, but just with a, with a healthy understanding that we're going to, we're going to pay attention to mom and dad and what mom and dad say and how they react. And we're going to play off of that, even as we, you know, we seek to, to, interact with their children well. Absolutely. I'd say it's always a safe, safe rule of thumb to just defer to the parents. And when in doubt, instead of wondering, well, is this appropriate? Is that appropriate? Is that appropriate? One of the most loving ways, one of the ways that I think that adoptive and foster families are going to feel the most support and the most love from you is you simply asking, how do you want me to respond in this moment? So when in doubt, instead of being riddled with fear of, am I doing the right thing? Am I not doing the right thing? If you just ask the parent, how do you want me to respond to your child when he or she does this? Or is it appropriate for me to do this? I want to learn from you. That is going to be incredibly encouraging to them. What are some other ways that, um, that people that are not members of the immediate family can, can help and support during this early phase of, um, of bonding and attachment? I'm so glad you asked. We've got five more do's <laughs> to share. And so one other one is do allow the adoptive parents to initially be the only ones seen as the authority figures, the providers, the encouragers, the comforters, etc. So we want to work to elevate them in the child's eyes and showcase their role in the child's life. Another is do be mindful that we don't know all of the details of a child's background. So some children have faced extreme difficulty in their short lives. And this includes difficulty like trauma, 
abuse and neglect. And we just can't make assumptions about what they haven't or what they have experienced. And we've got to be sensitive to those specific needs. And so it's just a good practice to ask the child's permission to reinforce that he has control over his environment and especially what touch he receives. So as a general rule of thumb, it's best just not touch a child without his permission first. And this is based on a possible, if not even probable, background of abuse. So if you're showing love or affection, do it with words of encouragement or praise. And or at least ask the child to come into his space before doing so. So ask the child questions like, may I sit next to you? Or can I give you a high five? That's just respecting them and being respectful of their potential backgrounds. Also, protect the child's story is another do. You just don't need to share what you know about the child's history with others. It's just not your story to share. Another is do show patience and grace. Because of their histories, there is likely going to be a lot of emotional, developmental, and behavioral. Our children often need, they just need extra patience. They need extra grace from those who are providing care for them, for those who love them, for those who are just surrounding them in their life. And lastly, I would say, do use appropriate adoption and foster care language. So use language sensitivity while interacting with the parents and especially in front of the child. So Whitney, I remember those days of, of coming home and those, you know, those first um, few days and few weeks of, um, of time home with, with each of our kids and they were great, but they were also exhausting. <laughs> and, um, and, and so like there are things that, that people can do that can be incredible, um, help to a family without, without actually having interaction with their, their newly adopted children or their, the, the children that are, that are new to their home in foster care. So yeah, can you give us some practical ideas of, of things that um, that family and friends can do in order to lift a burden and in order to help us have time to really focus on bonding and attachment? Definitely. Definitely. I mean, I think that just encouraging from afar can look like sending text messages, sending notes in the mail, setting up food trains, you know, take them uh, a meal or organizing others to be able to serve in that way. And because of these attachment needs, it might be that one person, like a consistent person, like a neighbor who's going to be involved in the child's life, maybe they receive all of the meals and then deliver it one by one, or they put the meals on the porch of the family um, just to respect those boundaries and to respect that time of cocooning. So it's not just strangers or new people to the children coming in and out and in and out of their lives. There's one consistent face where it's just arriving on the front porch. So meals, all of those practical things, and then just regular house chores, um, helping with yard work or helping with laundry or offering to pick up a grocery list and get groceries for the family. Um, 
one of my favorite stories, Rick, that you actually shared with me was about a man who, and I've retold this story over and over, this man who said that he did orphan care. And when asked how he did orphan care, he said, I have a lawnmower and I do orphan care. And basically this man made it his mission to serve adoptive and foster families so that they could spend more intentional time with their child. So he served them by just doing their yard work and cutting their grass. And that's just such a practical, beautiful picture of how the body of Christ can really wrap around a family and encourage them in those ways and just help to alleviate some of those regular burdens or those regular tasks that come their way. So I love that particular story, but the in the list of what can be done is endless. So just ask the Lord to reveal to you what do you have the gifts and the talents and the time to provide and just offer that to the family. And I encourage you to make a specific offer because they're much more likely to take you up on it. Instead of just saying, you know, let me know if you need anything, they're going to hear that a lot. But if they hear, hey, what about on Wednesdays is when I go to the grocery store? So what about on Wednesdays, you give me a list and I buy whatever groceries it is that you feel like you need for that week? Um, would that be helpful? So definitely, again, the list is endless. What other ideas would you have, Rick? Yeah, I think, first of all, I would echo what you said about about being specific in your offers. I think, you know, many times um, in those first few days and first few weeks at home, just honestly, as, as much as you're physically exhausted, you're mentally exhausted as well. And, and so, uh, you know, put on the spot for somebody to say, hey, what can I do to help you? Um, there were times where, honestly, um, in the moment, I didn't know. Um, mm -hmm. but there was, there were very few times that I think we ever said to anybody, no, don't do that. Um, we might, you know, we might put, um, a little bit of a parameter around it or, you know, whatever, like the thing about, you know, delivering meals. I mean, one of the things we wanted to be, um, concerned about is, is that we didn't want to have a, a steady stream of, of strangers who were, you know, in and out the door. Mm -hmm. Well, there's, there's a really funny story that we have. We, we had folks that were really great about doing meals for us for, for weeks, um, with all three of our kids and somehow like the meal train broke down one night and, and I remember, um, having the pizza guy, like we ordered pizza and, and our, our son, like having this expectancy that he was going to see the same person that he saw every night coming to deliver meals. And it was the pizza guy. And, and like, we had to deal with a meltdown because, and, and, and now, like in retrospect, it's, it's a bit amusing to us because we don't struggle with those problems anymore. But, but in the moment, it really reinforced to us how important it was that we were doing what we were doing to have the same people consistently around and, um, and in kind of the, the, the local orbit of, you know, of our kids. Um, but I think anything that, you know, anything that you can do, I, I, one, one thing that I would uh, say as well is that if you have a deep relationship with a family, um, doing some things where you lavish some love and some attention on on the other kids in the home, and so it may be problematic for you to to step in and to and to serve the the newly adopted child or the new foster child in a family, but but it's not problematic for for you to um, extend the relationship that you have with the other kids that you already have a, a, a bonded relationship with, and so. Um, 
you know, friends and family who would come and, and pick up our other kids and would, would take them away and have a little bit of special time with them. Um, it, it was really, really meaningful to them. And it was really, really meaningful to us, um, for our friends and for the people in our family, um, to, to love on our kids at, at what was a difficult time for them as well as they were figuring out what it meant to have uh, a new brother or a new sister and, and what it, what it meant for, um, you know, for their life. Absolutely. That was one thing that immediately came to my mind that I wanted to interject as well. It's just caring for those biological children or those previously adopted children, um, other children in the home. That's a great way to serve because it does give the parents that individualized time with a new child that they desperately need, but it gives the other children a little bit of an outlet and a time and it gives them that individual attention that maybe their parents just are not capable of providing them, at least not to the same level as they did before they added a new addition, a needy addition to the family. You know, Rick, I mentioned um, just the importance of language sensitivity, and I feel like it might be helpful for us to elaborate a little bit of just some examples of what that can look like and, and what's appropriate to say and what's considered inappropriate to say. Absolutely. So some of those? Please. Yeah, so I, I just feel like one way to show sensitivity toward children and toward adoptive and foster parents is through the language that we use. And sometimes the smallest question or the smallest little saying or phrase, it really can cause families to feel unsupported, misunderstood, or just isolated or even attacked faster than pretty much anything else. And so I want to help you not face those same difficulties or to um, find yourself in a situation where you just did more harm than good when your intentions might have been completely pure. So I'm going to give you just some examples of what appropriate language can look like and what not to say and then an appropriate alternative. So in regards to foster care language, um, it is not inappropriate at all to say foster parents. So this is not considered inappropriate because this just has no negative connotation. But for some foster parents, using the words foster child or foster kid is considered to be inappropriate because basically being a foster child is, is not their identity. It's just a circumstance or a condition. And there are many appropriate alternatives to this saying to saying like foster child or foster kid, like a child in care or a child who is in foster care or a child who's placed with you, or you can simply just use the child's name um, when referring to that child. And that's a hard habit to break. It's very common things to say, and it's not necessarily um, going to be hugely offensive. It's not going to be new to a foster parent if they hear the child in their care being referred to as a foster kid or a foster child. But it is to say a child in care is just going to show that you've kind of done your homework and that you've um, really desire to support them well. When it comes to adoption language, some things that come to mind would be a very common thing that is spoken is a question that's asked that something along the lines of, is he yours? Or is he your own? Or is this your real child? Or which one is yours? Um, an appropriate alternative would be 
is he your biological child? That's what's really being asked there. So adoptive parents, they very much feel like all of their children are their children, their very own children. And if you're asked, if they're asked, is this your real child, you might just get a comment like, well, he's certainly not my fake one. So we want to make sure that we're distinguishing if that question even needs to be asked. Most of the time it doesn't. But saying biological child is a little bit more considered more appropriate than saying, is he yours or is he your own child? Another question that's really common is, are they siblings? when referring to the children in the home and um, or when referring to two children who come home at the same time. So adoptive parents, again, especially if they're a little on the defense, they might have a tendency to say, yes, they are all my children, which makes them siblings. So an appropriate alternative to this question is, are they biological siblings? Um, there are many other things that I could share uh, one that comes to mind in this moment is just sweet, affectionate comments that can be made. Just think about what exactly the words are that we're saying and how that might be taken literally. Whitney, thanks for joining us. And this is in the Defender Podcast Extra Edition. I'm Rick Morton, your host. Um, this is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services. We would love to hear from you and hear of ways that we might be able to minister to your family or to your church. You can find us at www.lifelinechild.org um, or at Lifeline Child on Instagram and Twitter or Lifeline Children's Services on Facebook. Um, thank you, and we will see you soon.